I want to welcome you all once again to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are honored that you would choose to spend a Sunday morning with us. I know there is a lot going on around here this weekend, and so for you all to be here, it's, it's awesome. If I have not had the chance to meet you and you have time to stick around after the service, I would love to just say hi face-to-face. So if you have time to do that, I would um, love to meet you. And like Jay said, we're starting this new series. And um, throw that graphic back up there. I just want to, Vicky knocked it out of the park again with this uh, Ecclesiastes graphic here. Um, it's, uh, sorry, I kind of put, put, uh, put James on the spot there. Um, that, that's the background to the slides. Um, but we do have a graphic. I think it was in there earlier. Sorry, I tried to, uh, tried to get uh, Vicky some props here because she, she knocks it out of the park every time. And I think this is a really cool graphic. You'll understand, those of you who are visual artists, like as we get into um, this, this book, um, this, this kind of imagery there, Chasing the Wind, the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, really excited about this, this series. We'll probably be in it for eight or nine weeks. Um, and uh, yeah, finished up John, now we're moving into Ecclesiastes. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into the text. Father, we're thankful for your word once again. We're thankful for um, you speaking to us in this way, you revealing, revealing yourself to us in this way through um, all the scripture. But especially in this book, Ecclesiastes, that we're going to look at, you reveal yourself to us in, in a little bit of a different way, in a different angle. And I pray that we would trust that these are your words and that there's, there's wisdom here. There's, there's things to learn from here. There's, there's, uh, there's teaching in reality here. And, and ultimately, we're going to see the good news even in the book of Ecclesiastes. So we're thankful for that. We're thankful for this kind of literature and this, this, this book in the scriptures. So I pray as we dig in today and begin this series that you would change us. You would change our minds and change our hearts and change how we live when we leave, leave this place as a result of looking at your word. And we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, life is puzzling sometimes. It's confusing. It's like an old man who turned 98. He won the lottery and died the next day. It's a black fly in your Chardonnay. It's a death row pardon two minutes too late. And isn't it ironic, don't you think? It's like rain on your wedding day. It's a free ride when you've already paid. It's the good advice that you just didn't take, and who would have thought it figures? You're lucky I didn't break out in singing, and I know how old you are based off of the, the, the laughing in the room, right? This is from the prime years of my life, senior year of high school, by, the, by Alanis Morissette, who was dubbed by Rolling Stone the queen of alt-rock angst. Very angsty song, um, but I think it gets at the heart of what we're going to talk about today. Now, if you didn't get that or you're young, um, <laughs> I want to put this more in your lap, right? Um, you get your young kids all ready to go and, and you're on time and you're feeling good and your little one right before you walk out the door says, I need to go to the bathroom. And you just asked them 15 minutes ago, do you need to go to the bathroom? They said no. They're asked to go to the bathroom, kind of blows up 
your morning or wherever you're trying to get. You picked the wrong checkout aisle when you were for sure you got in the right one. Or you picked the wrong lane when you pull up to a stoplight and you're frustrated because you picked the wrong one. For y'all, that never happens to me. Um, you You go to plug in that USB cord and you're like, I got it right. And you always have to flip it. What is it about that, right? Like, this, I, it's gotten in my head so much before I actually think, like, I'm going to guess I got a 50-50 shot here, and I never get it right on the first time. That's the trivial. But you also have the heartbreaking. You have the heart attack when someone is in seemingly excellent health, and they're gone. You have the unexplained miscarriage when the doctors just, all they can do is shrug their shoulders. You have someone in their teens ending their life far too soon. It's frustrating. It's hard to understand. And I've known people in each of these situations or connected to these situations just in the past year. It's not that these situations are painful, but they are also frustratingly confusing and really hard to understand. Like, they don't make sense. We can't put the puzzle together of why these things don't logically make sense to us. And I think this resonates or should resonate with you. These things have frustrated, these questions have frustrated human beings since the time of Adam and Eve when they, that first act of disobedience, when sin came crashing into the world. That's why Ecclesiastes and these things are referenced so often, and, and whole movies and songs are built upon these ideas and are even quoted in songs. That stuff from Ecclesiastes is. They're easy to identify because we're limited and finite as human beings. We don't have the answers. We think we're prideful enough to think we should have the answers and to make sense of everything, but we can't. It's impossible, and it frustrates us. And we do some really damaging things with our frustration, right? We, we can numb ourselves. Like can we just go home, we can just binge that show on Netflix and numb out so we don't have to actually deal with these frustrations and these things that don't make sense. We can distract ourselves, kind of taking that, the, whatever hits those endorphins in the pleasure center of our brains, we can chase the pleasure to distract ourselves. So we just don't have to deal with it because we don't understand it. Or we can just throw our hands up, become depressed and say, that's just the way things are, and I'm just going to put my head down and be depressed because I can't figure it out. We know these are unhelpful ways to deal with making sense of the world. And I think these things directly feed into the mental health crisis that is currently ravaging our world. But I'm really excited to be jumping into this book. And here's why. Um, I resonate so much with the book of Ecclesiastes. I do. If you know me well, I can be a bit of a cynic. I, can, I, I tend to see the world in gray, a little bit of melancholy mixed in with everything for me. It's just kind of how I think God has wired me a little bit. Um, and so I, the, the, when, when Solomon writes these things he's going to write, and we're going to listen to these things at the beginning of this book, they don't really shock me. Maybe some of you they will, but they don't surprise me because I, I find myself thinking about these things a lot. 
Um, I, I find myself amening with Solomon a lot in this book because I have to fight for joy. I have to fight for hope. I have to kind of answer that what's the point question a lot in my own life. King Solomon, the author, wants to take us on a journey, or this, this quest that he is on to figure life out. And if there was ever a man that could do this, it is King Solomon. We're going to look more at who he is in his life next week and how he's, but he has all the resources, wisest man at the world at the time, one of the richest men in the world at the time. He has the means to figure this out. And this is what he's giving us is the results of his project, the results of his, his quest. So this is not a, a chipper, K-love type book. One commentator said, this is the Monday morning of biblical books, right? This is, this is reality. The realism of this book can be jarring, can be depressing and sobering. But I assure you, we have to walk through this gate. We have to go down this road, I believe, to truly experience freedom in this life we live. So why, why do this book? Why not choose something else? Well, I think it, it, it helps us be honest with our troubles. It helps us address the biggest questions in life. Why am I here? What's the meaning? Where is joy found? Why are there so many injustices in the world? I think it's arguably because of those things, arguably the most relevant biblical book to, to this life we're living because it shows us why we become numb, why we distract ourselves. Why we become depressed so easily. This book is a gift to us in that it helps us live and flourish in the real world. Not the pretend world, not the hypothetical world, but the real world. They won't let us play this, this game of make-believe that I think the church is guilty of so often, kind of whitewashing everything, kind of pretending like everything's okay and not dealing with real issues. This book will not let us do that. That's why I love this book. Verse 1 tells us who writes this book. 1-1 one, one, comes out of the gate. It's clear. The words of the preacher, capital preacher there in your English translations, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And that tips us off right there. It's Solomon. King Solomon, son of David, is the author. But if you're really studying this book, it's confusing because Solomon will switch back and forth grammat grammatically from the first person to the third person. Like one, time, one part of the book, he'll be writing as the narrator in the third person. Like he's looking into what this guy's writing. And then he'll switch over to the first person and write it from his point of view. But all along, these are the words of Solomon. These are his thoughts that are being kind of said and written down in this book. This book is wisdom literature, the genre. It follows along with Proverbs, Job, Song of Solomon, Little parts of the Psalms, right? this is what is called the wisdom literature in the scriptures. Those are the four, these are the four or so wisdom books. And it, it's the same author as Proverbs. Solomon also wrote Proverbs, but he writes them completely different. It's completely different philosophy, probably a completely different time in his life. One's like, one's like math and engineering Proverbs, right? It's very, very pithy, very clear statements, very practical. And then you have Ecclesiastes, it's more like art or music, right? It's a little bit harder to just, there's no, it's not as formulaic as the Proverbs, which I find it very interesting that Solomon chose to write it in this way. There's poetry in it, right? Let's look at verse two. This is the, this is the I would say, the most important verse, kind of the, the summary verse of the whole book. Vanity 
of vanities, says the preacher, Solomon. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. When a word is said five times in a verse, we should figure out what that word means. It's actually mentioned 27 times in the book as a whole. And the word for this word that's translated vanity in Hebrew is chabel, chabel. Um, one preacher that I was listening to this week said that it's, the word chabel is used because we say what the chabel is going on in Ecclesiastes. That was his, his joke there. Um, but this word um, oftentimes is, is translated vanity, but almost the better word for it is breeze or breath or vapor. And, that, and that's where we get this idea of meaninglessness or vanity. But oftentimes when we think of vanity and how we use that in our common language, it's, it's just purely meaningless. It's like there's, there's no weight to it. It's just, it's just kind of, it shouldn't even exist. And that's not, what, that's not what Solomon's trying to get at. He's trying to get at this, this, this idea of a vapor or a breath. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It's hard to grasp. He, he's saying that everything is like, like a puff of smoke, like when you blow out a candle. You smell it, you see it for a little bit, and it, then it's gone. It disappears. Other places where this word chabel is used in the Old Testament, Psalm 39.5, Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, that's the word there translated, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a, here it is again, mere breath. Psalm 144, 3 through 4. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. There it is again. His days are like a passing shadow. Kind of same, different word, but same idea there. Passing shadow. James 4, 14. Now, this is the New Testament, so this is actually in Greek, but it's the same idea here. Very um, kind of a famous uh, verse here. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. For what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. This is that idea when Solomon says vanity, this is what we should think. These are the word pictures that we should attach to that, that idea. It's kind of the idea we always talk about time flies. And it's so interesting that it seems to move faster the older you get. Just crazy. Like I can think back to times in my childhood where these periods seem to last a long time. I have a lot of memories attached to something, and I feel like it seems like it, it lasted longer. But then I try to think of the last five years, and it's just a blink. It's a blur. It's an interesting idea, but this is, I think, intuitively we know this when we say time flies. Well, it does. It's a vapor. Another way to say it is that I think, that I think a psalm would say is an enigma. It's hard to understand. It's frustrating. We know it is short, and we can't do anything to guarantee making it last longer. And it's like a breath or a vapor that we can't hold. You can kind of grab that, try to grab that smoke when a candle is blown out, and you can't. You try to grasp it. It's frustrating. It's there. I see it. I smell it. I'm going to grasp it, and then it's gone. That's the way life is. And so this book is about reality, the way things really are. And we need to be careful. This isn't, hey, this is for people who don't believe in Jesus and people who, 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 who don't believe in Jesus, are, this, is, this is the life they're living in. No, Solomon's saying this is a human problem. Every human being that has ever lived is, has this problem. It's not, just a, it's not just reserved for non-Christians, and Christians can somehow get out of this. That's not the way. Now, what this book's going to show us is there's a way to see reality, 
There's a way to respond to the reality we live in. There's a way to, to be able to see things differently from a different angle that allows us to thrive and flourish in this world. That's what Ecclesiastes is going to show us, and he's going to continue to unpack that as the book goes on. This is the whole point of the book. But here in this first part of the book, he's intentionally meaning to shock us. So what we're about to read is some heavy stuff, and it's to, to elicit a response from us. It's, it's to get us to lean in to what Solomon's trying to teach us. He's trying to get our attention so we can go on this journey with him. And again, this man would know. He knows how to chase things in life, and he can't seem to get any um, just satisfaction from the things that he is chasing. So now he's going to explain what this idea of vanity means. He's going to unpack this a bit more. Verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil or work at which he toils under the sun? What does he gain from all the work, all the effort that we put in? What do we gain? He brings up this idea, and he's saying nothing is gained by it. Now, he's not saying that there's zero benefit to doing work. He's actually saying that it's hard to figure, it's hard to find your, your, your positive, your net gain when you do all of this work. For example, do you wake up on Monday, Mondays or whenever your week begins and think, wow, I'm doing this again. It's like all over again, I'm doing it. Even, you can even love your job, love what you do, but you still kind of think like, wow, here it comes again. It's just another week. Or you think maybe it's a tough season, and you think, gosh, the, the, it, this work is never finished. It never ends. There's another problem, another thing. You just kind of have to keep, keep going and going and going, and it feels like you're in this cycle. And this is what Solomon's trying to get at. We toil, we work, and then, especially in the long run, we have very little to show, from, show for it. Verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Here's, he just means that as human beings, we're replaced. Every 70, 80 years, we're replaced. Right? This is the cycle of the world. We live, we die after you know, however long that God gives us on earth, and human beings uh, make new human beings, and they're born, and they go through the same cycle, and they will die as well right? Chipper, happy, right? <laughs> Selah. Like we're, like it, this is, this can be depressing. It can be hard. I'm going to die and very few people are going to remember me. And it doesn't take long for a person to be forgotten. Test here. Do you remember your great grandparents? Just three generations. Just three, just three. Do you remember them? I mean, I think some of us are, are fortunate to remember our great-grandparents, even maybe like what they look like, but even fewer of us can say, oh, I remember spending time with them because that, that, there's a lot of space there. There's a lot of years there. A lot of us don't even remember our great-grandparents. Just three generations ahead of us. Our life is a vapor. It's here and gone. He's going to keep going with this imagery from creation. Verse 5. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it, where it rises. It's the sun, this imagery of it kind of just goes around, right? right? This, in, in our, from our vantage point, right? It's obviously it's the earth, but we just think of like the, earth, the sun coming up and going down, coming up and going down. Verse 6, the wind blows to the south and goes around to the north and around and around the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. You look at the climate and the wind patterns, there's a rhythm, there's a cycle to the wind patterns and the seasons um, around the earth. 
And you think about it, most of the time when the wind blows, other than like a really strong storm or a tornado, which we know a lot about around here, right? Like the wind doesn't change things much, usually, in most places. The wind blows, then things are pretty much the same after the wind comes through. Once again, the wind works and does its thing, but there's not a lot to show for it. Verse 7, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. The ocean doesn't ever overflow, right? Water changes forms, right? We know water changes forms from gas, water, ice, all those things. And, and there's this cycle of water being flowed into the ocean, then evaporated, flowed out of the ocean, comes down in rain, all of those things over and over. What Solomon's trying to show us here, he's showing us things from creation to show us that this is a cyclical thing. There's, there's a lot of patterns. It's repeatable. It's not linear the way we like to think through things. And we need to see our world more through this lens that, that Solomon's trying to lay out in, in front of us. This is often the way we, we work spiritually, right? Like we're insatiable like the ocean. Like we can, we can take on a lot. And, and, and we never seem to arrive spiritually, right? We never seem to arrive. We, that's, a, that's a good pursuit. Or the things that we look to other than God, that the things we try to fill our lives with, we just can't get enough. It's like the ocean and water. I want more. I want the next thing. I want the new thing. I want the shiny thing. But it doesn't satisfy. You rethink common things, right? The dishes, right? Seems like those dishes, they're there. They're there every day, maybe every other day. Um, college students, maybe once or twice, you know, a month, you know, we'll get to those things. Laundry, it's coming. I do the same thing. Nicole does the same thing. Every, when that laundry comes around, it doesn't seem to ever stop. Toy cleanup, amen? Like, again? We doing this cleanup again after we cleaned it and it, they're out again? Like, here it comes, mowing the grass. Like, it's this time of year, it's, it's coming, right? May's here. We're doing that grass. It's going to be there again in a week. How'd it, how'd it get so long? I'm going to mow the grass again. The, this is our life. Like so much of our life is wrapped up in these, these consistent rhythmic things. And it can be frustrating, especially if we don't enjoy these things. Nothing really changes. Nothing is really new. Nothing is really remembered for, for the long haul. Verse 8. All things are full of weariness. I, I like that word because I think that's... A lot of what I feel at times, and probably you do too, weariness. A man cannot utter it. Like, we don't understand it. The, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Right? There's not like a, a, a limit on how much we can see or how much our ears can take in. There's this weary repetitiveness to all of life. Verse 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. You see Solomon dropping some poetry in there. This is one of those famous lines coming out of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. Verse 10, is there a thing which is, it is said, see, this is new. It has already been in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Again, this pattern, it can be frustrating. We don't understand it. It can get boring and repetitive. We see this with clothes. Clothes just cycle through, right? A couple decades later, here it comes. You know, as someone who's lived some life now, I'm like, really? Like, those, it's, that's, that's what we're bringing back now, right? And I'm like, how, do, how does this happen, right? And I know it's like we're way downstream of like the influencers and who decides these things, but I'm just like, who, who up there made the decision to bring these things back, right? It's, it's cyclical. 
Right? You think of something like space ex- exploration. Last several years, we've learned a lot about, a lot about Mars, right? Kind of cool. This is this planet that we've learned about Mars. But we have four other planets beyond Mars that we have very little knowledge of. Very little, right? The space exploration, this pioneering spirit, it'll never end. It'll, we'll, we, Mars exploration will end. It will change. But the space exploration, this, this finding new frontiers, it never ends. It will continue to go on and on and on, right? We can't even decide if Pluto is a planet, right? I mean, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. It's just like depending on the decade. Sometimes it gets shafted and left out of the Milky Way. Sometimes it's in, right? We can't even decide on what planets we actually have in our solar system. We get our solar system figured out, guess what? It's kind of a small drop in the bucket in, uh, compared to the galaxies, right? We've seen the pictures. We're so small, We don't understand how small we are, and we can't figure all of this out. There's nothing new under the sun. So through all of this, he's asking the question, what is the point of our toil? What is the point of our activity? What is the point of our work when there's no gain? We will all die. We won't be remembered, maybe beyond past, maybe our grandkids, if we're blessed and fortunate. Maybe our great-grandkids, if we're really fortunate. So what do we do? What do we do? We, we struggle with these things because we're limited. We're finite, and God has created us that way. We're not able to control the way life works, and that frustrates us. And in our frustration, again, we numb ourselves. We distract ourselves. We become depressed and just th- kind of throw in the towel and say, this is the way it is. I'm just going to kind of be grumpy and go on about my business. And even those ways of coping, the unhealthy ways, are not new. Our grandparents found ways to numb themselves out. Our parents found ways to distract themselves, right? Our parents found ways to, um, to, to, to be depressed and to just kind of throw our, their, their hands in the air. Even the things we look to in order to ease the frustrations aren't new. So if we don't live forever, not even long enough to make a real lasting difference probably, that'll be remembered beyond a couple of generations, how should we live? I want to play this let's imagine game for a moment, because this is the way I want to put some words to what we think. And this, is, I think, is the beginning of kind of some applications, some things to take home. Let's imagine that we get that promotion or dream job, and life won't be monotonous anymore. Guess what? We'll probably continue to be monotonous even after we get that. Let's pretend like you move into a new house, and all your frustrations with your current home go away. And you'll forever not need to get on Zillow and dream about that next house. That's just an example. I know none of us are doing that in here. We're really content in the houses we live in. Um, Let's imagine or pretend that our children turn out great and we take great satisfaction from that. We just like our children like arrive and we're like, wow, like you've made it and we're not going to be frustrated with you anymore. We're not going to live our lives through your accomplishments anymore. Let's pretend that if we were married or not married, then we would truly be content. That's a, that's a lie. If we only had a little bit more money, I would be happier. Or if I can just get to the weekend, through this difficult season, through that date I have on the calendar out there, if I could just get there, then things will get better. Probably not. We've played this game. We've played the let's pretend game. I just want to put words to how we're thinking here. So what do we do? The first step is just stopping and admitting the things that Solomon's trying to tell us. We can't get it. We don't get it. We need to be okay that this is the world that we're living in. We can stop chasing. We can start, stop grasping this vapor that we're never going to be able to grasp and that's here today 
and gone tomorrow in the cosmic scheme of things. So what do we do? And I do think this is the, the, the point where we look to Jesus. Like the, all the wisdom books, it says, are about Jesus. They find their fulfillment in Jesus. At the end of Luke, Jesus unpacks the law and the prophets and those things to those two, those two followers on the road. Right? God the Father sent Jesus into this world, the, the same word, world we're talking about, the futility, the frustration, and Jesus paid and suffered the highest cost on our behalf. And the good news for us is he's the only one that could have come into the world and do what he did and help us try to make sense of how to live this life in this meaningless or appearingly meaningless world. God, through Jesus, began the process of making all things new. Jesus changes our view of the past, he changes our view of the present, and he changes our anticipation of what's coming in the future. And this is why in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, and he's harping on the resurrection in chapter 15 there, that if this resurrection didn't happen, then your faith is is worth nothing, is futile, and you above all people are most to be pitied if the resurrection didn't happen. And what we're talking about today is why Paul was so worked up about understanding and knowing the resurrection, because it's all things new. Jesus, if Jesus is alive, he gives us a new way of seeing the world. It's about a new beginning, the resurrection is. And it's also about a promised ending that is going to come. So while we're living in the world that Solomon is describing, we know the past, and if we're in Christ, we have our identity there, and we know the future. We know, where, we know ultimately how this is all going to end up. And we, we deal with, we can navigate the meaninglessness or the apparent meaninglessness of the world where we live in. So what, what would Solomon want us to do based off of, I think, what, what he's told us in these first 11 verses? Number one, I think just understanding how the world works. And I think we, we, we get this. Again, that's why I'm giving you a lot of illustrations. I'm trying to put words to every, the things we've been thinking. You have, I have, right? We understand the world works and accept it. Accept that this is the reality we're living in. Not sweeping under the rug, not numb, not distract, not become despondent and depressed. Accept it. And really, if you still think you can find your hope and your satisfaction in the things of this world, you will be miserable. We can't can't out-pleasure Solomon. You will never have the resources that he had to go after the pleasures of the world. That's what we're going to talk about next week. You can't do it. He has got you beat in every way, and this is what he's telling us. This is the end result of Solomon's pursuit of all of those things. And we should allow this reality to drive us to the gospel. The person and work of Jesus doesn't necessarily change our circumstances. It won't change what comes into our life. It won't change necessarily the, the world around us or what happens to us. But what it can do is give us a different set of lenses to put on to respond to the things that we're going to face, to, to navigate the waters of this life that we're living in, to maybe make that vapor mean something. Instead of grasping the vapor, grasping the things that we can grasp in this life. We see things from a different angle. So number one, understanding how the world works and accepting it. And then number two, it's putting on those lenses. This week, me and another pastor were talking, and we were talking about what I was preaching about. And he brought up, uh, I never heard of it before, um, these glasses that um, they're called in, 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 in chromatic glasses that you give to someone who's colorblind. You see the world in black and white. You give him these glasses, and the majority of people who 
experienced color blindness can see color when they put these glasses on. I think that's the perfect illustration for what we're trying to see. Instead of seeing the world in black and white, because there's a lot of black and white in the world. There's a lot of gray, a lot to be depressed about in our world. We put on these new glasses of the gospel, this, the gospel gives us the identity, and we begin to see the world in color. We, get to be, we can be thankful for the little things, the things that are repetitive. Like, Isn't it nice that every April or May we can feel that spring warmth coming? Things start to get green. We see flowers bloom. Baseball begins. We see these things happen in the spring, right? But we're also thankful when, the, when, when winter comes around. We, that's that first snow, right? We, Christmas. We have some things in, in, in the winter to look at. And we can look at it as like, this is boring. This is predictable. This is some, sometimes awful in July in Oklahoma. Yeah. But the same part of the climate, there's some really beautiful things that God gives us in these mercies and our graces. We can put on those different lenses, so we're aware, and then we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. We look to our new identity in Christ. And here's the process. First, it's like when we start to feel like the world is against us, or what is the point of this world, and we go into that numb, numbing, we want to numb, we want to distract, we want to be despondent and depressed, we need to capture that. Why am I feeling this way? Why, like what a part of my surroundings is making me feel like this? Why am I running from this? And instead of going to these things, stop and turn to Jesus and remember that we have new lenses. You know, I'm not just saying, hey, say Jesus' name and everything gets better. No, we got to work at this. We have to put on the lenses and meditate on the truth of the gospel and the new life we have in the resurrection and really sit in that. This is why we have quiet time. This is why we read our Bible, so we can sit in the reality of our identity and the resurrection and know that he's alive. And that can that can kind of be a buttress against the way the world is pressing in on us in these ways. I think Colossians 3, 1 through 4, I think this is exactly what Paul's trying to get at when he says it. We just preached, we've preached on this a few times in the last year. Listen to these four verses. If then you have been raised with Christ, meaning you're a follower of Jesus, seek the things that are above. He's saying, look at them, go after them, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above. There it is again. Set your minds. Look. Meditate on the things that are above. Not on the things that are earth, which is kind of what Solomon's been talking about here. For you have died. Here's identity. You have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God, our union with him. When Christ, who is your life because of the resurrection, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That's the end. That's the future promises. This is, the, this is the, a truth, the, a text that we can grab onto and be able to navigate this life that Solomon describes. So to close, as we put on these new lenses, first it's awareness, but then putting on these new lenses, it gives us a foundation to withstand the storms, the ways that the world is going to beat on us. It's going to beat on us. But if we have a foundation, we have hope. We can get through it. If we don't have this foundation, we are tossed to and fro, and the house is going to crumble. This is what Solomon is saying. And then we can walk out those doors and be the kind of people who actually have this, this hope that surpasses understanding, this peace that surpasses understanding, because we all know that the world is in desperate need of people who can, they can see the world for what it is and know that there's this, this foundation, there's this hope, there's this peace, there's this, there's this joy to be had even through all of the mess that we call life, that we call this vapor. Let's pray. Father, I'm once again thankful for this book, even though it's, especially the way it starts, it can be 
sobering, can be depressing. But if we're honest, that this is, this is life. This is life. This is life in a fallen world. And so often we just, like, just push against this so hard and try to pretend that it doesn't exist, but it does. There's freedom in just saying, yes, this life is not the way I thought, it hasn't turned out the way I thought it would be. It's not giving me what I would want to, to get out of it. That's exactly where you want us. So help us, this, help us this morning. Draw us to yourself. If there's people here and they don't know you, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Trust that this is the wisest, at the time, the wisest, most wealthy man in the world, and he couldn't find it. He couldn't find the satisfaction apart from you. I pray that you would draw people to yourself this morning. I pray if we're a follower of Jesus, people that who are Christians in here, I pray that they would continue to turn to you and fight for joy, fight for freedom, fight to, to set our minds on Jesus and not escape to the things that the world so often wants us to escape to when things aren't turning out the way we want them to. So help us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.